Well, if you got your Bibles, open up to Luke 15. We're going to begin in verse 11 this morning. And we're going to talk about the grace of God. And we're going to look at a very familiar story. Many of you have probably read the story of the lost son. Or some of you have probably heard of it as the wayward son. Or maybe you've heard it entitled the prodigal son. And we're going to take a look at this son. But we're really going to focus a lot of time on the father. Because I want you to understand that the story, yes, it is about the sons. And we'll talk about the older son next week. But there is a lot of focus that is on the Father, and it is a description of God's love for you and for me. And so we're going to focus on that. But I want you to understand that honor and shame are something that is still relevant today. I mean, it is something that we live with in our own culture. But I'll be honest with you, one of the biggest cultures that that emphasizes honor and shame is the Japanese culture. I've been able to go to Tokyo, Japan, and you see it. It is written with it even today. But when you talk about the Japanese culture, it really goes back to the 14th century and to the ways of the samurai. Maybe you've heard of a term called Bushido. Bushido is the code of the samurai. It is the way of the warriors, and it incorporates many conducts of honor and shame and ideals that which led into their life. In fact, because they are such a society that is built on honor, they also had a term called Harry Carey. How many of you have ever heard of that word before? Harry Carey, you know what it means, and most of us don't understand because all we think of the word Harry Carey mean is committing suicide. But that's not really what it's about. It says this, if you were a samurai and you lost your honor, you had only one way to preserve it, by killing yourself in such a painful but at the same time fearlessly heroic way, you were able to sustain your honor and eradicate shame. Now, that was the way of the warrior. That was the way of the samurai. And you would think, well, that's not relevant today. Well, yes, it is. If you were to go to Japan today, you will see that it is still an honor and shame culture. In fact, you go over there today and you see if there are children that don't go to the right college, if they don't pursue the right job, or you see businesses that go under, the president is ridiculed in such a way and he shames his entire family. Did you know that Tokyo, Japan has one of the highest suicide rates all over the world? And the reason being is honor and shame. When they shame their family, in fact, when we were in Tokyo, we had many times where the trains were stopped. They weren't running. And it's because the easiest way to commit suicide was jump in front of a train. Many of them would do that because they believed in this honor and shame culture. If you don't think that it's relevant today, think about this. Think about the way if you dishonor your family, how much shame you feel. You think about that. How many of you kids, when you went off to college, some of you adults, when you went off to college, did your parents say, now you're taking my name with you. Be careful how you use it. You think about that. And one of the worst things that your parents could ever say to you was what? I'm ashamed of you. Oh, man, you say that to a kid and you have just crushed them. You crush them. Why? Because we live to what? To live for approval of others in a lot of times. And so honor and shame was a culture that is even today, but it was very relevant in the time of this story. And so for us to understand how important this is in the story, we have to understand that honor and shame play a significant role in the story of the lost son. Well, let's take a look first. We're going to look at two characters in the story of God's grace. The first character we're going to look at is the wayward son. Look at me in verse 11. It says, And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. 
And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. The first thing we want to look at with this wayward son is the dishonorable request. Look at verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Could you imagine if you went to your parents today and you made a statement like this? Dad, give me my inheritance. How many of you think your dads would give you your inheritance? How many of you just hope to have an inheritance? You know? I mean, could you imagine going up and saying that? Because basically what you're saying is, I wish you were dead. All I want is your money. That's exactly what's being said here in this statement. This was a dishonorable request. You're basically saying, Dad, I don't care about you. I don't care about the family. All I want is my portion. I just want to get... And what the father should have said is, Son, you don't have a portion. You don't have one. You know, don't you always love it when your kids come up? And, and, and some kids will say this. They'll say, Get out of my room. Um... That's my room. I pay for that house. You just get to live in it. Don't tell me to get out of your room because it's my room. Because that's what this father probably should have said to the son. Uh, dude, I don't know who you think you are, but you haven't worked for anything yet. You're going to have to wait till it's your time. But he doesn't do that. This guy's coming up and he's not concerned. Now, here's the interesting thing is the word that he uses there for goods. Give me the portion of goods. It comes from the Greek word osios, which means estate, as opposed to using the word klernomai, which means inheritance. In other words, what he's saying there is I want the property and the material possessions. I don't want to be responsible for the family. I don't want to be responsible for taking care of everything. I just want what you think I need to give. And then I'm going to take it. I'm not going to liquidate it. I'm going to turn it into financial gain. I'm going to make the money from it. And then I'm going to go out and do whatever I want with it. Now, you got to understand what this guy's asking for. Because he's the younger son. There's a certain portion that was allotted to him. The oldest son would get a double portion. How many of you would like that to be instated today? The oldest son gets a double portion. All the younger sons are in here like, no, 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 I don't like that idea. The older son got a double portion, so the younger son would get one-third of what the father owned. So what the father would do is he would kind of look at it. He would assess it. This, you get this amount of sheep. You get this amount of bulls. You get this amount of land. And he would assess those things. And what this son did was he went out there and he sold it. Now, he didn't sell it outright at this time. What a guy doing that would pay for it is he would pay for that, and it would be his in the future once the father passed away. So he's buying ahead of time. It's kind of like you ever seen guys buy futures into a business. That's what he's doing. He's buying futures into this man's property. All this kid wants is give me cash so I can go blow it. That's all he's asking for. Dad, all that you're worth to me is a credit card. All I want is what you owe me. What he owed him was a... But listen to what it says the father said. It says he's divided unto them his living. The word living comes from the word bios, which means everything that had been passed down from generations to him. 
Now you think about that. I mean, what grandpa, what great-grandpa, what great-great-grandpa left to that family and on down the line. This, this had significance to them. And I wonder, so often people, when they receive an inheritance, they forget what's behind it. They forget what has gone before them. And this son just didn't care about the generations before. All he cared about was himself. This was a dishonorable request. Number two, let's look at the dishonorable rebellion. Look with me in verse 13. It says, And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. You ever wonder why he went to a far country? I think there's two reasons why. Number one, he wanted to be away from the shame he created on his family. And you understand that. How many of you have ever, somebody tells you a story about their kid and then the next time you see that kid, you give them that look. Right? I, be honest. How many of you have done that before? Now you think about it. They've done something wrong. And, and you're like, well, we've got to be with the parents and we've got to shame them. That's terrible. It's terrible. We can lose sight of what we're here for. He wanted to get away from the shame. He didn't want anybody looking down on him. He didn't want the neighbors looking down on him. He knew he needed to get out of the country as far as he could go to get away from the shame. But not only that, he wanted to get away from the accountability he wanted to get far away. You think about these kids that tell their parents, man, I can't wait to go to college. What are they implying by that? I can't wait to get out from underneath your thumb. I can go out there and do what I want to do, live how I want to live. And boy, when they get out there, boy, do they find out just how hard it is, don't they? Oh, but they want to get away from the accountability. They want to get away from people being there to guide them and to direct them and lead them. And so this guy wanted to get far away from that. He didn't want his dad telling him how to spend those goods. He didn't want his father telling him how to live. He wanted to go out there and do what he wanted to do on his own. And we see that because it says what? He went out there and he wasted his substance with riotous living. Can I tell you something? When, you, when you're paying for everything, you can have a lot of friends, can't you? Oh, this man had a lot of friends. You know, he'd go into the bar and he'd say, I'm going to buy everybody around. Man, you make a lot of friends that way. You go into the restaurant and you say, I'm paying for everybody's bill. Now, isn't it funny how he had all these friends, he had all these guys that were around him at this time as he wasted his living. They were very thankful to be able to spend every dime this guy had. They didn't care where he was going to end up after he was finished with it. They only cared as long as he could pay. He spent it with riotous living. In other words, riotous living means he spent it prodigal. He just threw it away. He wasted it with everybody that was around him. He just took what his dad had given him. We don't even know how long it took, but he blew it, and he blew it quick. And then we come to verse 14. What it, say? it says, And when he had spent all, there arose a famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Man, where were all the friends when he was spending? Now he's broke, and he has what? He has nobody, nobody to help him. Nobody wants to give him a hand. In fact, not only has he spent it all, but we see a second problem is there's a famine in the land. In other words, everybody's having a hard time. He's done blown everything he's got. He's left nothing back. He has nothing in savings. He is done for at this point. Famine hits the land. And so what happens? Verse 15. And he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country and sent him into the fields to feed swine. You say, well, what's the big deal? He's out there feeding swine. He's getting paid. He wasn't getting paid. He was just hoping, as you see in verse 16, look at this. He was hoping he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. 
and no man gave unto him. He was working for what? For whatever he could eat out of the trough with the pigs. And here's the thing. It says the husk. It's kind of like, have you ever eaten corn on the cob? Once you eat the corn, what's the cob for? You're not eating that, right? Some people say this was the seed of a carob tree. In other words, it was so hard that even the hogs had a hard time eating it. This guy had nothing to eat. He was dying. He was famished. He was without food. He came to the end of his life and spent it on everything he wanted to. And he comes to the end. And like the person that wrote Ecclesiastes, Solomon, he said, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. There's nothing left. There's nothing that I can turn to. I am in deep and dire struggles. But there's a reason for that. And we see the dishonorable brokenness. Verse 17, And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. Oh, we could look back on daddy's table, right? Not on the portion that he and his brother received, but just on what the servants received. Oh, they have enough bread, and they even throw some away. They have more than enough food, and here I am. I I can't even eat what's in the pig trough. I can't even find anything to to fill my belly with. And yet, if I go home, you know, my dad's servants, they've got plenty, but he comes up with an idea because he knows he should not be received back. He should not be loved. He should not be accepted. And because of that, he comes up with his plan in verse 18. He says, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Dad, I know you're going to need some more help, and I'm just offering to be a slave at this point. I know I'm not worthy to be your son. I know I'm not worthy to be accepted back into the family, but if you will just hire me as one of your servants so that I can have something to eat. You need to understand who this story is about that Jesus is telling. You need to understand this story is about you. It's about me. We are the lost son. We are the ones that walked away from God. We're the ones that looked at him after he created us and we said, we just want what you can give us. We want the gifts. We don't want the giver. We want what you can offer us. We don't want to serve you. A lot of people sitting in here today, if you're honest, you would be honest about yourself and you'd say, well, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior, but I wonder how many of you have accepted him as your Lord. You can't separate the two. We want what he'll give us, but we don't want to do what he tells us. And so oftentimes people are in that mode and this young man, he walked away. We did too. You say, well, when did I walk away, brother? I'll tell you when you walked away, the moment you were born. So what do you mean I walked away the moment I was born? You were born with a sin nature. It doesn't take long for you to realize how sinful you can be. If you ever, ever have broken one law, and that's the thing, a lot of people don't understand this. The Bible makes it very clear. If you've broken one law in the book of James, it says, you've broken the entirety of the law. You might say, well, I'm not that bad, brother. (laughs) We're all that bad including myself. We all walked away at one time. And all of a sudden, we go out there and we live our lives the way we want to live them. We do it what we want to do. We come up with our own plans, our own visions, our own desires. We search for our own wants and we do whatever we want. And then we eventually come to that point where we are broke and destitute and realize, man, it was so much better with the Father. Boy, I've lost it all. 
And some of you may say, well, brother, I'm, I'm not at that point. I don't realize that I've lost everything. Well, you keep turning and looking for other things, and you'll find out in the end, you're in grave trouble. You're in grave trouble. You see, this son had to come to that realization, come to that brokenness. And he came to God. Are you ready for this? He came to God, and he, did, he comes to the Father, and he doesn't expect to be restored fully. That'd be like us going up to God and going, God, I think you owe me something. Yeah, you want to know what he owes you? He owes you hell. That's what he owes you. But it's by his grace that you don't receive it. It's by his grace I am not going to receive it. But you see, what he did was he paid for our sins, as we'll see in just a moment. We'll talk about that father in just a moment. But what I want you to grasp is to see your situation and how destitute you are. And that without the father's love, without returning to the father, without going to him with the right attitude. And that attitude is, God, I don't deserve anything from you. You take me just as I am. But thank God he won't leave us that way. You see, that's what the sun represents. And we have to realize that we come to a point in our lives where, guess what? We stop living for ourselves. We stop doing the things that we want to do. And we become, as Galatians 2.20 said, crucified with Christ. So it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When we surrender, that's what it's all about. This son had to come to that realization. Well, now that we've talked about you, let's talk about the Father. Look at me in verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. You need to see three things about the father. First, you need to see the dishonorable reception. Look at verse 20. He arose and came to his father. And when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran. And fell on his neck and kissed him. You say, what do you mean dishonorable reception? Well, here's what should have happened according to the honor and shame code. In order for the father to retain his honor, there's four things he needed to do. Number one, he should have refused to see his son. That's what he should have done. According to shame and honor code, he should have refused to see his son. Secondly, he should have made him sit outside in the village, outside away from the family from home for a few days while the villagers shamed him. Third, when he did grant his son an audience, it would be a cold reception. If you've ever read David, when he resolves with Absalom, it's kind of a cold reception. Finally, he would expect the son to work for restoration. He'd expect the son to work like a slave until he earned his position back in the family. And there's no telling how long that might be. That's the way it should have gone. But no, not this father. You know what's really cool about this? Is in order for him to see him afar off, he had to be looking. He had to be looking. That means he was probably sitting on the front porch waiting for little Johnny to come home, right? He's just sitting there, and here's the thing. He's got to look beyond the village, way out there beyond the village. And he's just looking over the horizon, waiting for a young man to come over the horizon, just over the hill, into the village. And you know what he does? As soon as he sees his son, 
He has compassion and he runs, which is dishonorable. Older men didn't run. They didn't have to. People ran to them. He ran to his son. Why? Because he wanted to get to his son before the villagers could. He wanted to get to his son to show him how much he loved him and didn't want him to go through the shame of the village. He wanted to get to his son. And when he gets there, it says he embraced him and he kissed him. You want to know why that's amazing to me? Because you got to understand where the son came from. He was in the pig pen. He was filthy. He was nasty. He was disgusting. And that father didn't care how bad his son smelled because his son was home. He was home. And he loved him and he kissed him. And I love this because look at verse 21. The son starts to speak, Father... I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. You know what's amazing? He doesn't even get to finish his rehearsed statement. Because he wants to get to that point where he says, just make me like one of your hired servants. It never comes out. Why? Because the father is so receptive. The father is willing to accept the ridicule of the village. The father is willing to be put down for his son. The father is willing to take all the shame upon himself and cause no shame to be upon his son. He wants everybody to look at him and not worry about his son. He wants you to do the same thing. He wants to see. He wants to move. And he wants to work in your life. He's already borne the shame for you. The Bible says he took our shame on the cross The cross was the most shameful thing that anyone could go to. In fact, the Bible says, Cursed is any man who hangs on a tree. Now, most of us think that means a noose. Well, that meant a noose or crucifixion. He was cursed for us. He took your curse, my curse upon himself, so that we might be set free. The father showed a dishonorable reception. Number two, the dishonorable redemption. Look at verse 22. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet you got to understand the significance behind those three things. Bring forth the best robe. In other words, bring him my robe. This was the robe of the patriarch. And it was only worn on special occasions. It was only for special, special events. And this father said, go get the best robe. Don't just go get a robe. Go get the best robe. Go get my robe and put it on my son. And he says, go get a ring. And put it on his finger. This ring would be a signet ring. In other words, it would have the family crest on there. And it would be a representation that he was welcomed back into the family. And he says, go get sandals and put them on his feet. Slaves didn't wear sandals. Only sons did. And so he said, go get the shoes. Go get the sandals. Put them on his feet. I want him to know that he is my son. He says, I'm not worthy to be called his son. And he's right. He's not worthy. But because of the father's love, he was worthy can i tell you something you're not worthy to be called a child of god but because of the father you are worthy that's what's going on here and then we see the dishonorable celebration verse 23 and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found and they began to be merry there was a celebration you got to understand he's inviting all the villagers Inviting all those people who probably shamed him for giving his son his possessions. Probably shamed him for accepting his son back in. But they're going to go to a party. You want to know why they're going to a party? Free food. Free food. They're going to that party. This father is not worried about what the villagers think. He's only worried about his son. 
He's only worried about bringing him into the fold. He's only worried about his son recognizing how much he loves him. And so he's willing to go beyond the boundaries of any man in that day and bring his son back in. You say, well, what, what does that mean for me today? Well, it's real simple. It means this for you today. You have caused shame to God by your sin. Every one of us has caused shame. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So there's not one of us in here that doesn't fall into that category. Every one of us is in that category. Well, what does that mean? That means that we've caused shame to the family of God. But yet, here's what the Father did for you and for me. He has received us back in. He will love you. He'll care for you. And guess what he does? He's going to give you three possessions too. He's going to put a robe on you. You say, what do you mean he's going to put a robe on me? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to become sin for you that you might have the righteousness of Christ in him. In other words, he's going to robe you in the righteousness of Jesus. So that one day when you stand before God, you won't stand before him in your sinful state. You will stand before him wrapped up in the righteousness of Jesus Christ so that he sees what his son has done for you. He's going to give you a ring. You say, well, what do you mean he's going to give you a ring? He's going to envelop you into the family. You have the name Christian if you've received him as your Lord and Savior. You are a part of the family. You've been given a new name. You have been accepted into the fold. And then he's going to put shoes on your feet. In other words, he's going to make you a son and a daughter of the king. Isn't it awesome that we, I'm not called a servant of God. I am called a servant of God. But the greatest title that I have is I am a son of God. I'm a child of the king. It's the greatest title that I have. Why? Because the father has accepted me into his family. And he loves me so much that I have an inheritance that's awaiting for me. And so do you. But you see, here's the thing. And there will be a celebration. There's a celebration everybody, every time somebody comes to know the Lord. We saw that with the sheep. We saw it with the coin. There was a party. Heaven has a party when somebody gives their life to the Lord. Well, this morning, you have to take a look at your own life. Where are you? Are you the lost son who has discovered you're in the pig pen and life is so much better with the father? Are you at that point where you realize all i got to do is I've got to return? Well, today is your opportunity. I pray you will return. I pray that you'll get things right in your life. I pray you will turn to the Father. You will find that he will come running to you. He will wrap his arms around you. He will put that rope of righteousness on you, welcome you into the family, and call you a son and a daughter of the king. But you see, here's what's got to happen. Just like the young man came to the realization, he had to go back to the Father. Today you come here. God brought you here for a reason. Every one of you in here is here for a reason. And today if you need to know what God has done for you and you need to return to the Father, there will be several men up here ready to share with you how you can have that relationship with Him. But if you have, if you've already received Him, we'll praise God. But you need to understand this. There are many more sheep that are of the fold that God wants us to go out and get. Brothers, sisters, cousins, aunts, uncles, co-workers, friends, neighbors. We have a task to do. We have a job that God has called us to do. And that's to go find the wayward son. Because here's the thing. We were once the wayward sons. But thank God we found our way back to the father. And he said unto us, this my child was dead. 
but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. My prayer this morning is that if you're lost, today you'll be found. If you're dead, today you'll be made alive in Jesus Christ. Understand the grace of God is extended to you just as it was extended to all of us.